This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 12th of November 2021. And compared to a couple of months ago, Norman, the COVID outbreaks that are happening here in Australia are really starting to come under control. Daily case numbers that we were seeing a few months ago were getting pretty scary as vaccination rates have have risen to really high levels in those outbreak jurisdictions, the case numbers have started to fall, but they haven't fallen as quickly in Victoria as at least I expected them to. And I'm not the only one because Susan's also written in asking, why are Victoria's COVID case numbers stubbornly high despite the very high vaccination rate? They're less than two weeks away from having 90% double doses in everyone over the age of 12. So what's happened in Victoria is the case numbers did peak at you know getting up towards 2,000 and now they're bouncing around um, around between the, the 1,000 to 1,500 a day. And they don't seem to, you know, it seems to be a plateau at that level. Whereas the plateau in New South Wales is between 200 and 400 a day. That's where it seems to be going on. And if you look at it, it's reasonably flat. It's not going up. Nobody's really very sure why there's that difference. But the hypothesis is that the outbreak in Victoria was much more widely spread. New South Wales was confined to a relatively small number of LGAs. And a lot of the focus was on all those on those LGAs. It was criticised... We, criti- we criticised that at the time, if I remember. Yeah, because it hadn't worked before. And it didn't really work in New South Wales because there was spread to other parts of New South Wales. But because the focus of the outbreak was in those areas and they put so much attention onto that and a lot of attention in terms of vaccination, in fact, they took vaccines from other areas and put them into those LGAs, it allowed an intensity of focus. Whereas in Victoria, it was really quite widely spread and also into some of the regions. And so Victoria had a much bigger and more widespread problem. And that's meant that the, the resources they've had have been more thin on the ground, have been thinner on the ground in terms of contact tracing and those other things, but also in terms of their vaccine strategy. They weren't able to just say, look, we're just going to hit Hume with vaccines. We're going, they, they really had to spread them much more widely. And as a result, there's a lot of virus circulating. And if we go to Susan's question, she makes a very sensible point, which is, even if you're getting to near 95% of 12 plus, more than one in 20 of the population not being vaccinated is a whole lot of people where the virus can spread. And you are spot on, Susan. That still is a lot of people in Australia who can, who, who can acquire the virus. And as we've said, as older people get immunised, the virus just finds younger and younger people to immunise. But we heard the Victorian authorities saying some weeks ago that the shift was going to focus away from case numbers and more to outcomes, and those are improving. No question. So case number, the number of people who are in hospital is actually falling and falling quite fast. The number of people in ICU and who are on ventilators rose um, to a peak in, in, in October and now they're gently declining as well. And the reason they're gently declining is that people, when they're sick, stay sick for a very long period of time, which is why you want to be vaccinated. You don't get off a ventilator. If you're on a ventilator, you don't get off it quickly. You're there for a long, long time and you're sick for a long time. 
That's the problem with this. But it's coming down. So is there more that Victoria could or should be doing to get these case numbers coming down? Or is this maybe a bit of a window into what living with the virus looks like? It's exactly the window into what living with the virus looks like. I think Victorians are going to have to get used to a reasonably high number of cases. It means there's a lot of virus around in the community. It does mean that measures, you're going to have to be really careful about lifting measures such as mask wearing and other things and be prepared to put it back in. But it does mean that the vaccination strategy is working. The problem is that if you get very large numbers of children infected, you will get some sick kids flowing through into the system. But so far, so good. So, Norman, we've had a lot of questions this week, as we do every week, and I thought instead of maybe a quick-fire Friday, we could just have a let's answer as many questions as possible Friday, which I know is very snappy and rolls off the tongue. And so I'm going to start with this You're just a natural marketer, team. just just natural. I actually literally have a degree in marketing. You can see I haven't put it to much use. (laughs) Uh, Kim is asking, we talked, Kim said, in an episode this week, we spoke about an antiviral COVID treatment called molnupiravir. Kim says, is this treatment best used for vaccinated or unvaccinated people? And if it's successful, could it cause unvaccinated people to double down on not getting vaccinated? We also spoke, by the way, about the uh, antiviral that's just come on the market, um, uh, manufactured by Pfizer. Um, so there's now two on the, on the, uh, potentially on the market when, when the Pfizer one gets approved in Australia. And um, well, if people want to look at it that way, then yes. The uncomfortable truth here is that if you are unvaccinated, and you are eligible for one of these treatments. And by the way, the eligibility is more on people who are vulnerable, elderly, and so on. You might not find yourself eligible for the antiviral. Why not? Because they're sa- it's expensive and they're saving it up for the people who have got a higher risk of dying of COVID. But you know, if you choose to roll the dice and are willing to tap into the healthcare system, then, yeah, you could have one of these antivirals if you're willing to take your chances that it's going to help you. Do you really think the Australian healthcare system would deny very sick people a treatment just because they weren't vaccinated? So the key here is that you've got to treat people early on and and roll the dice. So I'm not sure how it's going to change in terms of access here. But there are criteria for prescribing this. It's not everybody gets it who's who's a case of um, COVID-19. So Matt's asking, if you're due for a booster in the middle of summer, would it be better to wait until April, May and get the next shot when it starts to get colder, like how we do with the flu shot? I think that um, people are assuming that the third dose is only going to give you a short period of immunity. And there's no evidence of that. And in fact, if you go to previous vaccine experience, the third dose of vaccines often gives you quite a profound level of immunity, which lasts for a long period of time. So I think you've got to take your benefits when you can. So at five or six months when it's starting to wear off, you should get the booster. You'll probably be pleasantly surprised. We don't know for sure yet that it will last longer and you're still well equipped when it gets into the colder weather. But you wouldn't want to catch COVID in the meantime because you're hanging in there. So the idea of it thinking about it as a third dose rather than as a booster like what we have with flu each year. That's right. In, a, in an ideal world, probably what these vaccines would have been was First dose, wait 12 weeks. Second dose, wait 12 weeks. Third dose. That's the regimen that would have almost certainly been put into place. We'll never know, but it does mean that if you have it at five or six months, it's almost certainly going to last for quite a while. 
And a question from Rebecca wanting us, you, to allay her fears. Her husband and she are fully vaxxed. They had no hesitation, but they are hesitating when it comes to their 12-year-old daughter. They're not worried about short-term complications, but they're asking, what about in a year or two? Is there any possibility that there can be long-term damage by vaccinating? She's wondering why the government is hesitating making the vaccine available for 11-year-olds, but happy for 12-year-olds, when you've said that there's little difference in their immune system. She's a mum of three girls. This one's the eldest daughter. Rebecca is asking you, Norman, would you vaccinate your children or grandchildren? So my answer is unreservedly yes. If I had a child who was five years old, I know that they're waiting for approval with a target. But knowing what I know now, that the, um, the, the risk of myocarditis, heart inflammation, declines beyond below the age of 17. So 12 to 15-year-olds with Pfizer have a lower rate of myocarditis, so it seems, then it seems to kick in around by the age of 17. So it's likely that younger than that is even safer. And there's been a trial of 4,000 kids, and you can say, okay, there might be rare side effects. No, I know I would line up my five-year-old to have a vaccine now. I wouldn't be, I would have no hesitation on that at all, and certainly not for a 12-year-old. Coming to long-term effects, it's a good question. But again, we have to go to the history of vaccine development. In the history of vaccine development, there has been no situation as, as far as that I'm aware of where a new vaccine side effect has emerged after six months of use. So we've now had nearly a year of use of these vaccines, clinical trials, experience of 7 billion doses around the world, and follow-up for many months. It's just not plausible, really, given our previous experience and the way we know these vaccines work, that something surprising is going to happen down the track. So I, I, that, that's not something I lose any sleep about for me or for young people I know who are having the vaccine. So Norman, that's very reassuring. And I want to start just one more new segment and I'm going to call it Why Does Norman Hate South Australia So Much? An Investigation. <laughs> because we have been getting messages and I just want you to listen to some of them. Well, Alexandra writes in and says, I love your show. My family's in South Australia. I'm in New Zealand. Please will you mention South Australia more? It seems not to get mentioned so often. So you go, okay, okay, Alexandra. But then Mouse says... Does Norman have something against South Australia? He literally misses out our great state every time the states and territories are mentioned. It's starting to feel deliberate. And Deborah says, I love you, Norman, but what is your issue with South Australia? Even when prompting from Tegan, you still skip over us. I'm getting a complex. And so, Norman, I just want to know what on earth you have against the home of the Barossa Valley and the Hilltop Hoods. I have nothing against South Australia. Um, Prove it. I won't. Well, well I'll say, last week I was part of a... The seminar with Nicholas Spurrier, who's the um, Chief Health Officer in, in South Australia, briefing parliamentarians in the South Australian Parliament about um, about COVID-19. Um, so I gave up a couple of hours of my life to do that. I mean, <laughs> I care about South Australia. Um, it's a beautiful state. It's doing well with vaccination. It's doing well with public health and social measures. They did the right thing about moving in early and hard with uh, with their lockdowns, been well served. And maybe we've ignored South Australia because they have done so well and um, they're not a squeaky wheel. South Australia, you're a victim of your own success. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. But uh, I blame me, not South Australia. You know, well, you know the old thing when your relationship's breaking up? It's not you, darling. It's, not it's you. all me. It's me. Well, if you live in a jurisdiction of Australia or not even Australia and you have a bee in your bonnet about how Norman doesn't mention you enough, write to us, abc.net.au slash coronacast. Yeah, big call out to all our coronacasters in Norlunga. We'll see you soon. <laughs> see you then. <laughs> 